Today we're going to be looking at the 16th chapter of Exodus, but I'm going to begin by just reading the first three verses. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. God, we come to you again this morning in the midst of the wilderness. We believe that you are here with us even now. And I pray, Lord, that over the next few minutes, that you would be with us and would open our eyes and our ears to you words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So last week we kicked off our series on flourishing in the wilderness. And one of the things that we talked about was the simple fact that in many ways our lives are a wilderness. Uh, We begin by going through the, the Red Sea or baptism and And then we begin to meander this way and that, sometimes forward, sometimes backwards, but slowly progressing toward the promised land, towards God's kingdom. Sometimes we are in the very dry and dusty parts of the wilderness. These are those challenging times, these times when we are hungry and thirsty, and maybe if we even wonder if we're going to be able to make it through. Those are called Mara, the times of bitterness, if you will. And then other times, as we saw last week, we're in Elam, a place of oasis where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Times when we can be restored and rejuvenated. Times when we can simply rest. And if we long to become flourishing disciples, our journey through the wilderness of our lives will contain both of those as we continue again towards the promised land, towards God's kingdom. One of the temptations that we suggested last week that we need to be mindful of is to make sure that we don't confuse Elam, the oasis, with having been in the promised land. The truth is there are times for many of us When we get into that comfortable, the easier, the safer time in Elam, in the oasis, where we begin to want to grow so comfortable that we want to stay, that we'd prefer to not keep going, when we turn what is supposed to be a Motel 6 into an extended stay. As we said, the Lord oftentimes wants to lead us past the oasis. And there are times perhaps when he begins to pull us and we hold on to the palm tree. But the Lord says, no, it's time for us to keep moving. 
into those places where we are more vulnerable, more uncomfortable, where we may grow in our anxieties or our fears. But what the Lord knows is that so often it is in those moments when we begin to be transformed. It is in those moments when we become changed. Sometimes those moments are forced upon us. Something like COVID-19, racial unrest, other things that happen to us that we have no choice. But what we also suggested was that as followers of Christ, as we continue to grow in our maturity, there should be something within us that realizes, okay, we've been in Elam, this has been a great oasis, but now it's time for us to step out into faith. Now it's time for us to keep moving forward, to take risks along this journey that we are on. But that's easier said than done. It isn't easy to move away from what is comfortable, to move away from what is safe. But I think that one of the things that perhaps makes it easier for us to take those steps is to at least be aware of what it is that we are going to experience when we do those things. What are those challenges that we are going to face? What happens internally, externally, as we begin to march away from the oasis in order to take those steps of faith? And I think that the 16th chapter does a remarkable job of showing us what the Israelites encounter when they begin to move away from Elam. So there they are. It's time for the whole congregation, we're told, to move away from that oasis. And they begin that journey. But it isn't long until they begin to grow hungry. Do they begin to wonder whether or not there's going to be food to eat, whether there's going to be something to drink. And did you notice what they did as soon as that happened? They looked up to Moses and they said, oh, we wish we were back in Egypt. Oh, it was so glorious in Egypt. Remember, guys? Remember we had, oh, you remember the food, all the meat? We had so much meat to eat and the bread. Oh, it was all you can eat. It was amazing. What? Are you talking about Israelites? Do you remember Egypt? You were enslaved. They were working you to the literal bone. You were struggling. You called out to God. The conditions were miserable. And now, for some reason, you are looking back and you are beginning to glorify this time in the past. Why? Because you are struggling right now in the present. One of the things that the Israelites, who are great teachers, one of the things that they are teaching us is that almost inevitably, when you begin to move away from the oasis, when you begin to move into the uncomfortable, you will begin to look back to the past and you will begin to change in your own mind exactly what that place was like. And it will be very easy for you to begin to engage so much in the past that you can't imagine any kind of life in the present. I've told many of you that I'd been in Chicago pastoring for about six years. It was a great congregation for me to really learn what it means to pastor. But towards the end of that time, Megan and I were very clear that it was time for us to move on. And 
we knew that we were moving to this organization that was much more unstable than the church. But we felt like, you know what, this is exactly what the Lord wants us to do. So we left what was steady and stable and we moved off towards San Diego in order to be a part of this organization. And you know what? It was incredibly unstable. 15 months later, I was without a job. Two little kids, another baby, six weeks away from being born. We went to Grove City where I was an interim pastor. And you want to talk about temporary and unsteady, that is being an interim pastor. And I think often about those two and a half years, and I think for at least two of those years, as I reflect on it, I realize that I spent much of that time simply looking to the past. I spent much of that time as we sat there in this very unstable, unsteady, fearful and anxiety-ridden place, Looking back and thinking to myself, well, Jerry, you made a mistake. What were you thinking? You shouldn't have left that place. It was safe. It was comfortable. You knew exactly what to expect. You must have heard things wrong. And I felt like that for two years. And as I looked around in Grove City, at this wilderness of Grove City where we ended up, I'll be honest to say, we didn't see much life there at first. We didn't see much hope. We didn't see much light. There just didn't seem to be like, God must not be anywhere here. But a little bit like what happened last week that we talked about, amazingly enough, it may have coincided with the sun finally coming out of its nine-month hibernation in western Pennsylvania, but amazingly enough, all of a sudden, where we had not seen life, there was life. Where we had not seen hope, there was hope. Where we had only seen darkness, there was light. And what I've begun to realize is that a part of the reason why we were finally, why I was finally able to see God in the present was that I finally decided that I had to stop looking to the past, to a glorified past that wasn't even altogether real, that I had distorted in my own view because of my unhappiness in the present. One of the things that we have to know is going to happen before you ever let go of that palm tree is that there will come a time as you venture out that you will begin to look back in the past and wish that you were there. But it doesn't mean that you should go back. It simply means that in the midst of that fear and anxiety, it will feel safe to return. But that is the very moment when so often the Lord is ready to do something in your present, if you can stop focusing on what once was. The Israelites all of a sudden distorted the whole view of their time in Egypt. But they didn't just look back and say, oh, we wish we could have been there. That wasn't the only thing that they did. No, they then continued on. They said, oh, Moses, you know what? You only brought us out here so that we would starve to death. Can you imagine if you were Moses? How livid would you be? I don't know how you don't answer that question with just an inordinate amount of sarcasm. Oh, Israelites, you figured me out. You know what? There I was. I was content taking care of my sheep with all of my extended family. 
And God came and he said, you know what? I want you to be my spokesperson. I don't speak very well, Moses said. Oh, it's okay. You're going to go, oh, I don't know, to Pharaoh. Oh, that's right, ruler over all of Egypt. And here's what you're going to tell him. Oh, this is good, Moses. You're going to tell them that you are going to take all of their workforce. Oh, yeah, won't that be fun? And they're going to say no. And you're going to say, well, I kind of need to. And you're going to say no. And yeah, but, but finally they're going to do it. Oh, and this is going to be great. Then you're going to get partway to the Red Sea. And all of a sudden you're going to turn around and the whole army's coming after you. It's going to be great. And, and they're going to come rushing. And then Moses, it's going to be the Red Sea on one place. And there, there, there's the army. And you're going to be like, ah, oh, you're going to lose several years of your life as you think I'm dying. And the Israelites are looking at you. And all of a sudden I'm going to do this great miracle. It's going to be great. And you're going to think, oh, everything's wonderful. And then you're going to get to the other side. Three days later, they're all going to be looking at you saying, oh, we're thirsty. What's wrong with you? Why are we so thirsty? And then God's going to say to Moses, oh, but you just wait. The whole reason I did this was so that the Israelites could go and starve. Yeah, Moses must have wanted to say to the Israelites, you figured me out. That's exactly why I brought you out here. Of course, that wasn't the reason why Moses brought the people out. But for the Israelites, let's keep in mind, they are full of anxieties and fear and stress and struggle. And when you are in that place, which always occurs when you leave the oasis, you are going to want to blame someone and it will rarely be yourself you will want to blame god you will want to blame your spouse you'll want to blame your children you'll want to blame your friend you'll want to blame your boss you will want to find somebody to blame for the fear and the anxiety and the pain that you are feeling at least for me, as soon as I get into one of those places where I'm feeling vulnerable, I want to find somebody to blame and typically then to mischaracterize exactly why it is that I can blame them. I, I want you to know one of the greatest gifts that Megan has ever given to me, one of the greatest glimpses of God that she has ever been to me, was during those two and a half years when we were in that difficult part of the wilderness, when we were in Mara. Because at no point that I can ever recall, at no point did she ever look to me and say, why did you do this? Why did you take us to this place? And I knew that that was a glimpse of God because I know what comes so much more naturally for most of us at least. And that's to find someone to blame. And the problem with that is it then distracts us. Much like looking to the past distracts us, finding someone to blame distracts us from being able to see where God is blooming up in the midst of the desert. And when we are simply trying to find someone to blame, we will rarely be able to see the hope of God in a place that seems only hopeless. Now there's one last thing that it seems to me the Israelites help us to understand as far as what we can expect when we venture away from Elam. 
In order to get to that, I need to kind of paraphrase much of chapter 16. The the Israelites complain, as you already know. And God says, okay, I'm going to provide food for you. It's going to be called manna. It's a bit like bread. Every morning when you wake up, it will be there. And on the Sabbath day, it will not be there. And so on the sixth day, you need to collect twice as much so that then you can eat it on the Sabbath. Because on the Sabbath, it won't be there. Okay. And in the afternoons, he goes on to say, you're going to have quail. You're going to have meat that will be there. Okay, that's great. And that takes us to verse 22. I want to read just verses 22 through 27 for you. Here's what it says. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omens apiece. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. This is what the Lord has commanded. Sorry, I read that already. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses commanded them and it did not become foul and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is Sabbath, there will be none. Am I being clear? He didn't say that last part. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather and they found none. Can you even imagine? I laughed so frequently this week. I realize you may not find that funny, but I thought it was hilarious. They said it once. They said it again, they said it again. There it is, very clear. No food on the Sabbath. Are we clear? And there's Moses. And he's looking out on the Sabbath day. He's saying, oh, what a great day. I love the Sabbath, a day of rest. And then he looks out into the fields and he says, are you kidding me? I sent them three emails, four texts. I put it on my Facebook. I put it on Instagram. I even put it on MySpace. And still, they're out there trying to collect the food. And think of your, your Jim and your Bob and you're out there and you're like, Jim, you think it's weird that there's nobody else out here and that we can't find a speck of food? Well, yeah, it's weird. Because they've been telling you for six days that there's not going to be any food. I mean, I have to be honest, though. I thought immediately of several times in my life, maybe you've had this, where you pull up into a parking lot and there's no cars there. And you think, uh-oh. Or you pull into an empty building and it's all dark. And you think, oh, I must not have seen something. And you begin to look quickly through all of your emails. You check your voicemails. You look at the website. You think, I got something wrong. It's a fascinating scene. I could preach a whole sermon series on that one scene. And I don't have the time. But let me just bring up two quick things. One is this. 
when you venture out, you are going to feel vulnerable and anxious and fearful. And one of the things that we know is that when you are feeling like that, you do not listen well. Ed Friedman even brings this up. He's a family systems theoretician. And he says that inevitably when you are anxious, that means people are running away from you. And when people are running away from the leadership, they cannot hear what you are telling them. I thought that was important because, A, it, you should be prepared for this. You're going to miss some things. You're not going to hear some things when you go out there and you feel fearful. But I also think it's helpful because oftentimes we are with people who are full of anxiety or fear. Maybe we're trying to help them and we keep wondering why they aren't hearing what we are saying. And there's a good chance that it is simply because they can't hear because they are too afraid. And maybe we can have a bit more grace and patience towards them for that reason. But I also want you to know that this verse, verse 27 of the 16th chapter, is a gift to all of us. And it's a gift because it reminds us that when you are away from the oasis, that when you are put in a vulnerable situation, when you are putting yourself in a position for the Lord to work and to change and transform you, you are going to make mistakes. You are going to mess things up. When, we, when you do things like what we talked about last week, when you join a home group and you get in a group of people and you say, all right, I'm not overly excited about this, but I want change and I'm going to be vulnerable about my faith and my doubts. When you get in a group of people, you're going to make mistakes. Uh, there's been several home groups that my wife and I have been a part of that on the way home, she's been like, why did you say that? I, I don't know, I'm an idiot. What's wrong with me? Why did I say that? I could have stayed at home and I wouldn't have made that mistake. But I also wouldn't have had the experiences, the other experiences I had of being able to grow when I could be honest and vulnerable with other people. If you decide that you want to engage with people of a different race in order to talk to them about racism, I promise you, you are going to say something stupid. It's just going to happen. But that is still better than you staying at home and not reaching out at all and not changing one bit. If you decide, as we said last week, I'm going to take my kid out of a sport or out of the band or drama or whatever, and I'm going to spend some time doing some kind of service to those in need, I can assure you, you will make a mistake. And it will be something that your kids will remember for the rest of their lives. And they'll hold it over you, perhaps. But you know what? You will have given them a unique opportunity. If you decide to shut down Netflix for a while and to engage more with your neighbors, there are going to be times when you mess something up, when you again say something you shouldn't have, when you do a faux pas, when you should have said something and you didn't say it. That will happen. But you will still know and love your neighbor in a unique way that you never would have had you stayed in front of your television and never gotten off of that sofa. 
I think one of the greatest reasons why we never push away from the oasis, why we never go into the uncomfortable and into the vulnerable is because we are scared to death we are going to make a mistake. I want to do whatever I can to disavow you of any of that fear. Don't be afraid you're going to make a mistake. Just know that you are. Yes. Jim and Bob, who were out there looking for manna on the Sabbath day, they messed up. But I am here to tell you, they are still far, far better than any of the Israelites that might have stayed back in Elam. Because you know what? Just in that simple lesson right there, they experienced Sabbath in a deeper way than they ever would have had they not ventured away from Elam. You see, I kind of think that all of us have to ask ourselves this specific question. Is our goal in life to remain unscathed or do we long to be changed? Because you will never become a transformed person in the way that Jesus desires us to be if you are too afraid to make a mistake, if you are too afraid of being imperfect. I think that what we need to begin to do is to realize this, that as we venture out, as we take these steps of faith, as we follow God wherever it is that he leads us, there are going to be times when we mess up by thinking too much about the past and wishing we could just go back to where things were safer, there will be times when you spend far too much time trying to figure out who you can blame for why it is you found yourself right where you are. There are going to be times when you show up at something and nobody else is there because you failed to listen. But all of those people Every single one of those times, what you will begin to discover is that those who have ventured away are those who are being transformed. Those who venture away from the safety are those who are beginning to look more like Jesus. Will you do it flawlessly? Absolutely not. So my hope is that we can embrace that what the middle school ministry calls embracing the awkward. I think it's something that all of us as adults perhaps should take on as our own motto. Let's embrace the awkward of making those mistakes, knowing that the only reason we've done so is because we have chosen to live lives that are being changed, not lives that are unscathed. And so, sisters and brothers in Christ, let us continue to move forward into the wilderness. And in those moments when we have made mistakes, in those moments when we've looked back or looked out or been too afraid, let's look even more closely. Because you will find, you will discover in that very time how God is beginning to do something new in your life. May it be so. Hallelujah. Amen.
and amen.